Welcome to the ride. Life, Work, and Wealth podcast with your host, Chris Rowe. Years ago, Chris was a firefighter and a paramedic and witnessed many people not getting another tomorrow, and it shaped who he is now as a financial strategist. Chris doesn't just help people plan for a secure tomorrow, he helps them plan for a better today. Chris lives in Burlington, Ontario, and is an investment advisor at Three Hats Financial, a trade name of Harborfront Wealth Management, an IROC dealer. Let's get to it. Alternative investments. What are they? And why should you have them in your portfolio? Chris Duro is here with those answers and more in this episode of his podcast, The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth. I'm Patrice Sikora. Chris, we're hearing more about the importance of alternative investments. But first, tell me what they are, and then what is their importance now? Thanks, Patrice. Yeah, so today that's what we're going to touch on. Um, it's interesting because with the current events going on, around us right now, they're even, these are even becoming more valuable, even since mm -hmm. in the last couple of weeks. So our firm, we talk a lot about alternatives and how important they are to have in the portfolio, like, especially as I mentioned in these markets. So yeah, today it's what I'm going to go over is uh, why they're important to have in your portfolio, especially now and uh, the pros, the cons, and then how do you get them in your portfolio? Well, that's a so, good question. Yeah. 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 So Alternative investments. So what are they? They're, they're basically, they're a financial asset that they don't fall into like one of the conventional or traditional asset classes, such as like your stocks, bonds, um, mutual funds, and cash. Mm -hmm. So private alternatives, like they, what they are, what they include is basically private debt, private real estate, and private equity. So now I'll just, I'll touch on each of those. So listeners know what those are. So private debt, like historically, low interest rates have left investors struggling to find yield because bonds are no longer doing the job they once did. And pension and endowment funds have been shifting from traditional bonds for years to private debt to enhance their returns while keeping the, the risk to a minimum. And what private debt is, is it's, it's, uh, it's negotiated loans that take place outside the traditional bank network is the easiest way to explain it. And who currently invests in private debt is, um, as I just mentioned, is large pension funds, endowments, family offices. And I'm just going to touch on that quickly. I am going to have a podcast very shortly on just on family offices and, and what that is. So stay tuned for that. And then also foundations and ultra high net worth have been using this asset class for quite a while. So some people might not really understand some of that terminology. So I'll give people some familiar names like the teacher's pension plan or Omer's or Harvard and Yale endowment plans and all Canadians know CPP mm -hmm. or Canadian public pension plan. So as soon as you mention private debt, sometimes people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, that means <laughs> mortgage. That means mortgages. And were you not around in 2008, 2009? Right, right. And Yes, I was definitely. It was not fun times as a financial advisor. But what may surprise listeners is actually in 2008 and 2009, it was actually some of the better years for private debt because when banks close their doors, things go really well for private lenders. And some of the mortgage investment corporations that we have access to, they had not just positive returns, but relatively strong positive returns in 2008 and 2009. 
And that is just comforting for some people to know because that was obviously a very rough time. So that's private debt in a nutshell. Private real estate, pretty self-explanatory, but there is various categories of real estate investments. So for private real estate, we favor multifamily, residential, industrial, and storage facilities. Private real estate funds or companies, they don't just they don't trade on a national stock exchange. And they're generally only available to usually high net worth or institutional investors, which we'll touch on a little bit later. Uh, they offer like a, a high diversified pool of properties and which gives potential for capital growth and monthly cash flow. So despite the familiarity of real estate by most, since most people own real estate, such as a home or cottage or various clients that have condominiums and houses they rent out. So most people are familiar with real estate, but most people don't fully understand all the opportunities available in real estate. And surprisingly, majority of people's portfolios are significantly underweighted in real estate investment vehicles. And why it's important is like, for an example, is at the peak of the pandemic, private family real estate was claimed to be actually one of the best performing asset classes next to technology and, and the FANG stock. So for listeners, if you ever hear the term FANG stock, it's basically a, a Facebook, Apple, Netflix, and Google. So private real estate just didn't have the drawdown during the pandemic that public real estate did. And some private real estate investment options, they've actually never been negative in 30 years. We've charts this stuff to really excite people. <laughs> but <laughs> Just so some of this stuff is interesting because a lot of people just haven't really been exposed to it or even heard of it. And for those examples, that is why institutional investors typically have 10 to 20% of the portfolio allocated to private real estate. And uh, yeah, so the, the, next, the, the last one, Patrice, private equity. Today, more companies, like to explain what that is, basically today more companies are, than ever are choosing to wait longer before they go public ultimately coming to market much more fully valued. Right. An example, Uber, which everybody knows, it came to the market valued north of 80 billion bucks. So would it not have made sense to be an owner when that 80 billion was being created privately? That's the question to kind of ask. And for many years, private equity has, it's just simply outperformed their counterparts in the public markets, often with less volatility. So whether private businesses are like grappling with uh, the demands of growing or looking to lock in their legacy for the future, the need for that, for investment capital, is just abundant. And it's, it's just, it's increasing. As a result, private equity is usually the largest sleeve of alternatives for institutional portfolios. Hmm. So for listeners, when I keep saying the word institutional, that's what I had mentioned, like the, the large pension funds, endowment plans, all of that stuff. Retail investors is all of us just so when i'm using those terms i don't want to confuse people um remember i also so i one i mentioned cpp is invested in alternatives well that's a good example to use because as i mentioned all canadians know what cpp is well half their portfolio like many institutional investors is allocated to alternatives so it's it, it's a good chunk and uh just 
it wasn't too long ago. It was at the end, towards the end of 2021, a couple months ago there, CPP released that they had actually achieved a record 10-year annualized net return of 11.6%. Not bad. And yeah, for a pension plan, for sure. Especially when you, when you kind of look back at market conditions over the last 10 years, like most decades, that definitely wasn't all just a smooth straight line. So the chief executive stated that this was, for CPP, say this was due to private equity and private debt in the portfolio. Since, as I mentioned, 50% of the portfolio for CPP is in alternative investments. And that's kind of common for a lot of these institutional investors where it is 50% or more allocated. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's kind of just quickly the three areas are kind of what alternative investments are. And uh, just to give you a kind of a quick summary on that. So now I'll just touch on, and I kind of did there, but I'll touch even now more on like why they're important to have in the portfolio. Uh, so there's three main reasons an investor would add alternative investments to portfolio. To So one would be to incrementally increase returns more than increased risk and increase in risk to incrementally decrease risk less than decrease returns mm-hmm. and to increase absolute return, which is basically positive returns in various market conditions, which therefore makes the portfolio more resistant to losses during bear markets. Yeah. Um, yeah like, so basically the last 30 years, interest rates have forced many investors to have to increase the risk of their portfolio to achieve the same expected returns they were getting previously. And as a result of doing that, the volatility within the public investors portfolio has been on the rise. So if you go back to like 1995 in that era, we had, there's charts and pie graphs and all this, and you can see that you had you would have had around 75% or more of your portfolio in fixed income, and you would have achieved on average around a 7.5% return. Now, you would have to have significantly less fixed income to achieve that same return due to the low interest rates, which then therefore increases risk to get that same return. And, and mm-hmm. if with listeners, if you want more info on this too, you can just simply Google, like for what I'm saying, you can just Google the death of a balanced portfolio and you'll see, it'll go over exactly what I'm talking about here because you have many financial gurus talking about this. It's also called uh, the death of 60-40 and that's a balanced portfolio, like 60% equity, 40% fixed income. So just for anyone that wants to not just listen to, to my voice and, and read some <laughs> of this, you, you can just simply Google that. And it'll, it just goes over things like, like how the balanced portfolio, it was introduced uh, almost 70 years ago. And obviously, like many things, uh, times have obviously changed, uh, especially in the last 24 months uh, with COVID and everything else. So that's where you're seeing many articles and that on just that the portfolio needs mm-hmm. to change with times and that it shouldn't just be a 60-40 split anymore, like a balanced portfolio, that it should be more of a split of asset classes such as stocks, bonds, and alternatives. And um, I mentioned in interest rates have been falling for quite a while, decades, while now inflation is at significant highs. They're talking uh, right now inflation's at like 30-year highs. Interest rates are expected to eventually start to creep up. Stock valuations are high. 
So with all of this, many analysts are predicting the kind of returns we've seen in the public markets over the past decade will be harder to achieve for the next decade going forward with the same amount of risk. So they're not saying you can't get the same return. It's just saying due to the current environment and what they project, you'll need to take on more return. Well, JP Morgan, um, they revealed in, in one of their articles that, that allocating just 30% to alternatives in your portfolio can increase your annual returns, while at the same time, strengthen the portfolio stability and decreasing risk, which goes back to the three points I mentioned at the beginning of why it's important to have in your portfolio. But now this is, this is great, Chris, but you're talking about high, you know, ultra high net worth and institutions and how can the retail investor, you and me, you and I, get into an alternative investment? Yes, and there is, the good news is there is now options. And I'll, let me, I'll touch on that. The great question, I'll touch on that. Let me, I'm just going to go through the pros and cons, and okay. then I'll touch, I'll okay. touch on that one. Because that actually was perfect because it leads right, right into this. <laughs> so yeah, pros and cons is, well, we just touched on the pros. So let's talk about the cons. Well, they are still investments. So they're not GICs. So the rates of returns, they're not guaranteed. And you can still get a manager that does not a great job, but history has shown that the returns usually are more stable and they're not correlated to public markets. And what that means is that if public markets go down, they're not correlated to that. They're not going to drop at the same level that public markets are. They'll offset it, which is called what you want in a portfolio is negative correlated assets. And that also what you just mentioned, Patrice, is that the alternatives, they're not accessible to everyone. And right. some require that you need an excess amount of capital to get exposure to them. However, like this is changing and firms such as ours do have options for retail investors, which is you and I to access this. Like some of these, some of these options, you need to be sort of like you have to be an accredited investor. And what that means is you need significant amounts of wealth. That's how it is for, for many, but there is now more options, which I'll touch on in a second. I'm not, I'm not going to go through all the pros of this and say, yeah, right. by the way, you can't touch this at all. So. <laughs> <laughs> nah, 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 nah. Um, yeah. Another thing is the liquidity. Alternatives don't trade as often as a mutual fund or a stock. So if you're going to cash out your entire portfolio, the portion allocated to the alternatives will simply take longer than a regular mutual fund or stock to get your money. Hmm. And th this is something the investor needs to be aware of. And, and we, we go through this in quite a high level with the, with the clients because it's not a deal breaker, but it's, you need to be aware of it. Uh, and there is other options to be able to access this, but it basically, you need to understand it's not as quick as selling a mutual fund, mm -hmm. but the whole portfolio is not in this, nor is it all in mutual fund. Like you're never going to be hundred percent in one or the other. So there is options, but it's just, there is difference of liquidity. However, the flip side of this is it's not necessarily a bad thing with the liquidity because when markets crash, what do people do? They sell off and panic and that then contributes to more decline. Mm -hmm. But with alternative investments, you can't do that because of liquidity restraints. So then that adds to more of the stability of them. And it also removes irrational investor behavior because you can't just go ah panic and sell the sell out on them. Right. Um, so it, it's a pro and con, but it's just like anything, there's no perfect investment or asset class. 
So you just need to make sure you know the pros and cons of each, whether it be an alternative investment, exchange traded funds, mutual fund stocks, and et cetera. Touching on that, this is so, yeah, this leads into an example I always use with my clients. Any of my clients listening will, will probably chuckle because they, I use this example quite a bit. I usually verbalize it because I suck at drawing, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, verbalize away. Yeah. So I always tell clients picture your portfolio as a bucket and that there's multiple cups around the bucket. So one cup is pre pretend as mutual funds, the next exchange traded funds, the next stocks, and then you have your alternative investments, private equity, private debt, private real estate. So many investors will just have one cup in that bucket, mutual funds. And that's fine. But like I said, there's no perfect asset class and there's pros and cons to each. So for our clients, we have multiple cups in the bucket. And depending on the market environment, the amount of cup being dumped in or taken away will vary because certain, certain asset classes do better in better market conditions and volatile market conditions. So we're constantly changing that percentage. And we do this, as I just mentioned, because basically nothing's perfect. So we want to make sure that we have access to multiple asset classes in the bucket. Mm -hmm. Does that make does that make sense? Yes, yes, it <laughs> oh, did. Okay, your clients are nodding their heads right now. Be a little hard to draw that in a podcast, but yeah. <laughs> and then this just goes back to what you had touched on previously, Patrice. Is how do you get these alternatives in your portfolio? And yes, well, unfortunately, there's not many financial firms in, that offer it in Canada yet. We are starting to see an increase in providers, but it will take time for more firms to get in this space. On top of the assets are more scarce. It's just not like a regular public mutual fund that anyone can jump into. So there is supply issues as well. Hmm. Although this is changing it, like I said, it will take some time. Like for example, some of the private debt we have access to right now, it, it's closed to all outside investors. Uh, we, our clients still have access to it, but it, it is closed. So right now, almost all of our clients have a portion of their portfolio on private equity and, and private debt since we feel it is the right place to, to be with the current market and the market going forward. And it's, of course, like I said, it's not, it's not their whole portfolio. It never will be, but it's a portion because it's an extra asset class that many don't have access to. And we just want to have that added into the portfolio with, for a lot of the reasons I had mentioned today. So how, we look at it as if it's good enough for a large pension endowment, ultra high net worth people to protect their portfolios. I would think that it's a good place for a portion of our portfolios to be. Nothing wrong with that reasoning. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's really, I just wanted to just give a kind of a quick summary on what they are and the importance of them and really the importance, especially now with everything going on. And as always, if anyone has any questions or if anyone would like to discuss how this asset class may be able to fit or be added to their portfolio, you can always get a hold of me. Love talking about this stuff as, as long as people want to listen. And you can just contact me through my website at threehatsfinancial.ca. Some fantastic information there, Chris. Thanks a lot. And again, where can they reach you one more time? Oh, yeah. My website, the contact page, you can even book an appointment right through the, the website, which is threehatsfinancial.ca. Great. All right. Be sure to follow this podcast, The Ride, Life, Work and Wealth, to know when the latest episode is ready. And of course, share with friends and family. 
Thank you for listening to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of Harborfront Wealth Management. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Please seek advice from your accountant regarding anything raised in the content of the podcast regarding your individual tax situation. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.